Let us open God's holy word and turn to the book of Psalms, and we'll read Psalm 32. Psalm 32, the Meshkil of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Thus far the scripture reading. This afternoon, I preached you God's Word as we find it summarized in our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 51, question and answer 126. Here we read, what is the fifth petition? And the answer is, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, for the sake of Christ's blood, Do not impute to us, wretched sinners, any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us, as we also find this evidence of your grace in us that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. After the sermon, let us sing Psalm 32, stanza 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, blessed is the man whose sins have been forgiven. That is, happy is he who knows that his transgressions are gone and are no more. That joy and happiness of which Psalm 32 so enthusiastically enthusiastically uh, tells us can only be our joy and can only be our daily delight if we know what is involved in praying the fifth petition. 
It's simple enough to say the well-known words, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven the debts of our neighbor. But we will only have that joy of which Psalm 32 speaks, that exhilarating joy if we know what is involved in saying these words. And then not just theoretically, but if we know what it means from our life experience, from our daily lives as children of God the Father, if we know what sins are really all about, what our sins are all about, and what therefore forgiveness really involves. Some knowledge of our sins and of God's forgiveness is necessary because this prayer is not some kind of a magical formula that if you just say it, it's all over and done with. No, for if we pray from a wrong attitude, a wrong spirit, then the Lord does not even hear our prayer. He rejects it. Also this prayer, if it's not prayed with the right attitude. Indeed, think of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, where the humble tax collector, he knew about his sins and misery, and he cried to God for mercy. And then Scripture tells us that he was justified. But the Pharisee, who did not know his sins, but had a rather high attitude of himself, he did not go home justified, our Savior tells us. And so the lesson is that we must know ourselves and we must know our sins and the greatness of our sins. Otherwise, there's not much point in praying this prayer. And indeed, we also have to know who God is when we address him with these words. Only then, when all these conditions are met, is the joy of forgiveness, the joy of Psalm 32, ours as well. And so the theme for the preaching this afternoon is this. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And we can only pray this prayer knowing and fully realizing, first of all, the reality of our sins, and secondly, God's solution for our sins. This prayer for forgiveness must cause a lot of difficulty for people who think that they no longer need to plead for forgiveness because they imagine themselves already to be perfect. Many in Pentecostal circles believe this, as well as Roman Catholics. Indeed, the Church of Rome proclaims as saints whoever in their estimation have done more than enough to earn their salvation. They have extra good works which can then be passed on to others. Yet in spite of the high view that some may have of themselves, our Savior commanded to everyone who heard him that this prayer must be prayed, the prayer for forgiveness. Our Savior therefore presupposed that all have sinned and that all have fallen short of the glory of God and that all of us need forgiveness. First of all, repentance, but also forgiveness. Yes, including his disciples 
He taught this in the first place to his disciples. Children of Father in heaven need to pray this prayer in spite of human pretensions to how great some of us may think we are, there's only one human being who did not need to pray this prayer, and that is our Savior. As Scripture says regarding our sinful condition in 1 John 1, verse 8, and there it says in 1 John 1, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's pretty straightforward language. In other words, if we know something of the holiness of God and our fallible nature, then we don't profess to be perfect, but then we go to God for mercy, for forgiveness of our sins. With scripture and confession we say, what a wretched man or woman I am. Think Romans 7. Or as the catechism puts it, wretched sinners, miserable sinners. And yet, although we may have rejected an unbiblical doctrine of perfectionism, yet precisely because we are all by nature sinful, we can so easily think of ourselves more than we should. To say it differently, the danger is not completely imaginary that we too can say this petition too easily. Do we really pray this prayer always in the true awareness of our own total unworthiness before God? So easily the thought can arise also in our hearts. Yes, I'm praying for forgiveness, but what sin am I actually praying for? I haven't been that bad today. I think I've been pretty good. I've been better than so-and-so, and I haven't done this or that. Oh, by nature, we so easily can think of ourselves more highly than we should. And the words of this petition can be mouthed and spoken simply out of custom and without the full realization of what we're saying. It is so easy to underestimate the reality and power of sin within our own lives. After all, we're within a sinful culture, we're within a sinful world, and we're within a body of flesh that is sinful. Now, to be sure, we know all about the sin of the world that's out there. We can talk about how bad it is, how God's judgment will come over it unless there be repentance. But do we also realize enough the horror of our own sins? Perhaps many in the world know no better than to sin and to hurt God than the children of God. After all, children of God can be so accustomed to call God Father, can be so accustomed to be part of the family of God that they sometimes underestimate the privileges they have. People out in the world who have not been exposed to the God of heaven and earth, who have not been exposed to holy God, can sometimes be dealt with more mercifully than we, so to speak, we are children of the Father, snatched out of hellfire, privileged to hear his gospel Sunday after Sunday. We are the ones, Scripture tells us, who grievously sin. And that's where the focus should be on, on our own lives. And even though it may be our heart's desire to serve the Lord with all our being, we still need to pray 
this prayer. Indeed, the first four petitions, when we pray those first four petitions and then think, well, what have we done to honor God's name, to facilitate the coming of his kingdom, to do his will? Those first petitions expose us. And then we need to pray, Father, forgive us our debts. For when we do not live up to the expectations of our Heavenly Father, we we hurt Him because He has given His total love to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so He commands us through His Son to pray this petition. And so let there be no mistake about it. This prayer is necessary, not because of the sins of others, but because of our sins. We need this petition badly. We sin more than we often realize, forgetting how sensitive holy God is to our shortcomings and sins. So easily we can grieve the Father by our sin. By my sin, it's a personal thing. And if this prayer is to make any sense, we must indeed be fully cognizant of our unworthiness and know the reality of our transgressions and the power of sin also within our lives. We must realize the urgency of going to God to make sure the debts and the sins are gone and forgiven. It doesn't always happen. Think of Psalm 32. David had sinned. Exactly what he did, we're not told. But there was something wrong. And David knew it. So did the Lord. But the terrible thing was that David did not speak of it to the Lord. He did not pray for forgiveness. He acted as if there was nothing wrong. It wasn't that important or he didn't think he should bring this up to God. We don't know why David did not confess. Perhaps it was his pride. Or perhaps it was the perception that, well, what I did wasn't all that bad. Now, David could pretend that all was well. But the fact was, God could not forgive him because David had not confessed had not asked that the sin be removed. And therefore, that sin stayed in David's life, and it festered like a wound. Sin is serious. When unforgiven sin is present, and someone hardens in the sin, then the situation becomes an urgent one. David, any child of God, should then go to God and ask for that sin to be removed. Because sin brings the judgment and wrath of God on our life. And when his sin was not confessed, then David put himself in a very precarious position. For the judgment of God rested on him. God's holiness will not stand for unforgiven sin in the life of his children. And indeed, David felt the heavy hand of God. As he confessed in Psalm 32, verse 4, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. 
God was merciful to David because in this way, God was showing to David something of the reality of his sin and the need to come clean. When God's hand was heavy upon David, God, God was saying to David, David, you cannot overlook that sin. It must be confessed. You've got to clear it up. Sin is serious. And so God came to David in judgment. His hand was heavy on David's life. And in this way, God mercifully brought David to the realization that his sins were real and were serious. Something must be done about him. And so David said, as it were, I will go to God with them. The God of David is also our God. And also today, we as children of God, we too can be confronted by God himself of what our sins can do to us. In his great mercy, God can also show us something of the reality of our sin and the power of evil that can come out of our own hearts. As Reformed people, we have so many privileges. And like David, we can easily be too proud to admit our wrongs to God and to each other. We easily cover our sins with silence rather than seeking to cover them with the blood of Christ. But then the judgment of God rests upon it. God's hand will be heavy on our life in one form or another. For example, if there is something between members of the congregation, there's a natural ingrained tendency in the human heart to pretend that all the unpleasantness will go away by itself. But it doesn't. Instead, you get alienation and estrangement sets in. People look differently at each other, and we wonder why. Indeed, it can happen that one really does not know how come, because so small was the sin in our eyes. But sin works through. It festers, and it brings the judgment of God as seen in the resulting brokenness of the communion of saints. Because we can so easily and so often underestimate the reality of sin and its power to destruction, therefore we are inclined as sinful human beings to be slow in seeking forgiveness with a brother or a sister, or most importantly, seeking reconciliation with God, against whom all sin is done. It's easy, of course, to pray in general, forgive us our sins, but in so praying, we can pass over in silence concerning sins that should be mentioned and that are therefore not cleared up. And then the hand of God can come over our life and press us down in judgment by breaking relationships with brothers and sisters that we have always held dear, or breaking a relationship between husband and wife, or breaking a relationship between children and parents. And if those relationships are broken, then the relationship with God is also under stress and being broken. And indeed, it can even result in the breaking down of our health. Think of Psalm 32, my bones dried up, David says. 
Tension can build up and impact our physical well-being. If we harbor unforgiven sin, it's not a good situation. Sleeplessness and unrest can result. Nerves get frayed and go to the breaking point. Yes, then we can experience something of that hand of God in our life, just as David did. Of course, this does not mean that every time someone is depressed or nervous or has problems, that this is a direct result of unforgiven sin. But on the other hand, the possibility must be left open that God may be trying to tell us something. For we do not always fully appreciate, as sinful creatures, we don't always fully appreciate how horrible sin is before our Heavenly Father. For God's Word teaches us that sin can weigh us down and sin can wear us out. Sin can take the joy and zest out of our life. Yes, because if it's not taken away, our Heavenly Father is grieved. And although His children may think all is well, God doesn't think all is well, for He's a Holy Father. And then His hand can press down and He can mercifully make us feel something of the weight of sin and the effects of sin on our life. Yes, something of the judgment, the power of sin and its reality as an evil breeding more evil. There is nothing worse than sin which is not cleared up. Now the consequences of sin cannot always be undone. But sins still need to be dealt with. For we are not just anyone. We're children of God. We're a redeemed people. What parent can stand it if his child lives in their home as a stranger, not honoring the godliness they seek to engender in their home? What father or mother can endure it when their child essentially lives as their enemy, opposing the good direction the parents are giving? Well, our Heavenly Father hates it if he sees his children flirting with sin or falling into sin and not being sorry about it, pretending all is well. Our Heavenly Father has taken us and washed us and sanctified us in Christ. He has cleansed us with the blood of the Lamb and so taken us into His household to be holy. Are we then to undo that by dirtying ourselves with sin and not taking it seriously? And therefore, if we do not see the seriousness of our transgressions and evil nature, God's hand can weigh down on our lives, just like it did in David's case, until we see the reality of our sins and are so forced by God to confront them and to do something about it. And therefore, how merciful of God if he, in one way or another, brings sin out into the open. For there is a solution for sin, the great solution of this petition. And that takes us to our second point, God's solution for our sins. Forgive, O Lord, my sin. We flee to him. To whom else can we go? And how happy and blessed is the person who sees something of the extent of his sin and his miserable fallen condition and then flees with that burden to God the Father. For such a person can then know the joy of forgiveness. 
Father, forgive them. I'm sorry. Take it all away, that burden that brings judgment on my life. Remove it. And it can be removed. It can be forgiven. For God has promised it. And He will do it. As a matter of fact, God promised it already when we're just infants and we were baptized. It's part of the baptismal promises. Does the water of baptism not symbolize and guarantee the promise of the forgiveness of all our sins? If only we go with a contrite heart and mean it and go to the Lord with those sins. Those sins will be forgiven. All of them. Again, the sad fruits of sin cannot always be undone, but the sin can be done away with. There is no need to hesitate about bringing any sin, no matter how great, to the Lord, because there is no sin that is too big for God to deal with and to forgive. He will forgive and forget. For the sacrifice of Christ is sufficient even to atone for all the sins the world would ever commit. Atonement has been made. The Lord's Supper celebration is another sacrament that gives the same assurance as baptism did. Again, we can make use of that sacrament again for our comfort. Christ commands us to because Christ wants to reassure us over and over again that you can come to me with any sin my sacrifice is sufficient to wipe away all our wrongdoing. That's why he came to earth. And therefore we go to the Father, and we go to the Father with our sins, with our mistakes, with our regrets, our transgressions, the sins we get angry about, our sins as young people, our sins as young couples, our sins as parents, our sins are miserable sins that we can cry about and wish we'd never done. We can take it all to the Father in heaven. We can take it to the Lord, to his mercy seat, and we can leave our sins there. Then they're gone. For that mercy seat speaks of the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ. And what a joy to go to God's throne of mercy because God never rejects those who come to him in true sorrow. He welcomes them. We go to him. Our evil heart testifies against us. Satan tries without ceasing to weigh us down with transgression. But if we're truly sorry, we can unload them all before our heavenly Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. No sin is too big. No debt is too large. God will forgive if we only go to him. And then happy are we because when their sins have been unloaded, we can also thank God with a life of grateful service. For if our sin has been removed, then God raises us up again to be a new creation, to hallow his name to labor for his kingdom, and to do his will, and so to make good use of the daily bread he gives us. Then we can fulfill our purpose for life again, and we can experience the joy that God intended for life, the joy of forgiveness, the joy of a new life in Jesus Christ, the joy of having a focal purpose and joy in life 
towards God in heaven, our maker. If we know something of what forgiveness is, then we'll also be very careful and slow to criticize others and to judge others in a cheap and easy way. And we'll be very quick to forgive when forgiveness is asked. For if we know ourselves at all, as a child of God saved by grace alone, then we'll also be very sober and humble in recognizing sin in others. And we'll be as merciful as God is merciful to us. We realize that God in heaven sees much more sin in my life than I see myself. And so we'll be gentle in dealing with the sins that need to be dealt with in the lives of others. Indeed, before we refuse to forgive a brother or a sister, think of how God must see you, how God must see me. We are no better than others. We're all in the same sinful flesh, inclined to all evil. And we're all struggling to meet the holy standards of God. If it was not for God's word and his hand pressing now and then on our lives, we would never know anything of the true extent of our sin. We're no better. And therefore, how eager we are to forgive the sins of others to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters. And indeed, we have to be reconciled. It's not an option. Remember the prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The implication of these words is clear. If we refuse to forgive our brother and sister, and to relieve them of the burden of sin that is pressing down on their life, if we refuse to heal their existence before God, then God will refuse to forgive our sins. Think of what our Savior said on the Sermon on the Mount. If you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And so this prayer for forgiveness is very serious. It ties our forgiveness of sins over against God with our willingness to forgive others. God will not forgive us if we are not willing to forgive our brother and sister. There's also something very beautiful and joyous and encouraging in this linkage. It underlines the reality that we're all in this together. No one of us is perfect. No one of us can say, I don't need to struggle against sin. We all have the same difficulty with sin. And we can all get angry at ourselves because of our shortcomings, our sins and rebellions. At the very most, every one of us makes only a small beginning of that new obedience that God requires of us. Let us not forget that. The most holy person only makes a small beginning of that perfect obedience that God the Father demands. We all fall short, and grievously so. And if we realize that, then we can bear much from each other, and we gladly give to each other what the Lord has given to all of us, 
the forgiveness of all our sins. And therefore, Psalm 32, verse 11 exhorts us, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all of you, upright in heart. Yes, we can rejoice. There's hope for us, miserable sinners. We can rejoice because the Father in heaven has taken mercy on us. The daily struggle against sin is to be sure there. But by the grace of God, we may know the seriousness of that struggle and the seriousness of our sin and its power. And we may also know and appreciate the privilege of being able to go every day again to him and say, Father, please forgive. Let me make a new start again today. Let me be holy in your sight. Forgive. And Father in heaven does just that. Our Heavenly Father never tires of forgiving our sins. Indeed, He cannot stand it if we don't come to Him with a contrite heart. He forgives and forgets. And His hand of judgment, which is over the old creation, is removed from our lives. The world and those of the old creation who do not seek forgiveness, they may have momentary pangs of conscience and worry, and they should. For God's hand of judgment will press on them, and the results of the sin of the unrepentant is but the beginning of eternal woe. The unbeliever who refuses to acknowledge his sin is beginning in this life already the eternal torments of hell. But blessed are those who put their trust in God individually and collectively as family of God together, we may experience by God's grace something of the beginning of joy eternal, of being his new creation, being his saved children, with whom the Father will live in peace and joy eternally. Why? Because he forgives us all our sins as we forgive those of our brothers and sisters. Blessed are we to know this gospel. Amen.